Input. Output. Hi, this is Input Output, and I'm your host, Mark Yarm. Today on the Input Output podcast, we've got stories about phony music and shady labor practices. Do you hate your favorite band's latest song? Your music's bad and you should feel bad. If you're listening on Spotify, that track might be a fake. It turns out that Spotify's third-party distribution platform is flawed, allowing scammers to impersonate popular artists for weeks on end, stealing thousands of streams in the process. Writer Landon Groves wrote about how this ripoff works for InputMag.com. Here he is reading an excerpt from his piece. On June 26th, Brad Petering and Jason Wyman of the popular indie band TV Girl checked their Spotify artist page and found that they'd uploaded a new single. The song, which had been posted that morning, had triggered a notification for each of their 119,000 Spotify followers, urging them to check it out. It also appeared in the Release Radar, an auto-generated playlist that populates with new releases from artists in your library of their over 1 million monthly listeners. Right away, Brad and Jason were confused. They hadn't greenlit a new single, and the cover art, a high-res stock photo of two hands clasping, was a far cry from their usual two-tone film grain aesthetic. Welcome to the show, Landon. Thanks so much for having me on, Mark. So how does the Spotify scam work? That was the question that I had when I initially found it, just going through my release radar and finding these songs that didn't look like they were uploaded from the artists that uploaded them. So I reached out to Sherry Hu, who's the author of the newsletter Water and Music, and she told me that it all begins with the distributors. And basically what you need to know about the distributors is that every song that gets uploaded to Spotify that isn't from a major label goes through these third-party distributors that vet the releases and actually do the physical uploading to Spotify. And there's just so many of these distributors and they all have different standards for metadata, which makes this huge problem when it comes to vetting the releases. So who do the victims of this scam tend to be? It appears to be like sort of mid-level indie bands. So the way that the scammers are able to get these songs on the artist pages is they're taking advantage of the metadata of mid-level bands. And that's because these mid-level bands don't have the kind of connections to Spotify that like say Nicki Minaj or Cardi B have. That's because they're typically going through smaller to mid-sized labels where the people there don't directly know the people at Spotify where they can be like, hey, like this is a real song. So in this case, at least 12 bands that I found for this story were all going through smaller labels who weren't able to physically confirm with Spotify that the songs that they were releasing were actually theirs. And what are the scammers' goals? It's... Hard to say, I talked to Sherry about this and she said that there's two possible options. First, they could be trying to get exposure, which would be say in the case that, you know, maybe one of these artists posts their own music to a bigger artist page in hopes of, you know, finding an audience. And secondly, a lot of these scammers are just looking to make a quick buck. Because when you are the person who uploads the song to Spotify, you end up making all the royalties from that song. Let's say you are a scammer who uploads a song that gets 50,000 listens. Then you instantly get a couple hundred bucks for something that you didn't even really have to do. Yeah, I was a little confused about how the scammers would make money doing this since Spotify only pays a fraction of a penny per stream. What are the scammers thinking? There's two options there, too, is that, you know, either they are doing this a lot and like kind of hoping that one takes off or if they are only making a hundred bucks or so per song it's not hard for a scammer to do this hundreds of times with hundreds of different artists and just exponentially grow the amount of money that they're making i wasn't able to individually confirm that that's happening in this case but it is definitely an option for what could be happening 
And the band that you talked to for the Peace TV Girl seemed to have a real difficulty in getting this track taken down, right? They were quite reasonably, I'd say, pissed that they couldn't do anything about this, really. I know when I talked to Brad of the band, he was really upset because he was getting messages from people that were like, hey, like this new song sucks. Like, what's the deal? I'm crying, frowny emoji. And he told me that he reached out to Spotify and there was just so many barriers in place. He referred to it as a lot of red tape and bureaucracy. And basically what that amounts to is there's you go to Spotify to try to get this removed. And what they tell you is go to this copyright infringement page and file a claim, which they'll deal with anywhere from like two weeks to like two months from now. And then once that claim is like, you know, repudiated and they are able to say like, hey, this is actually happening. It seems like there's two different avenues that they go on. One, they can try to remove the song entirely or two, they can move the song to a new artist page with the same name, which, you know, isn't ideal. And as far as I can tell, there's no kind of consistency about what Spotify ends up deciding to do. So is there any solution to this? Does Spotify really need to address this problem? I'd say yeah, because in the long term, who it's really hurting is these small artists. These artists in particular are ones who really depend on every stream, especially when this is their full-time job and they're really trying to get by doing the whole music thing. I'd say every minute counts and every stream counts. And when those are stolen from them, it, one, hurts their aesthetic whole principle for their artistry, and two, it really hurts their bottom line. And that is just unacceptable, I'd say. You can follow Landon on Twitter at UltraCultured. Now on to today's second story. Quibi is my absolute favorite snack. I love to munch on a Quibi. What is Quibi? Couldn't tell you. The short-form content platform Quibi is both an industry joke and a commercial failure. On top of that, it exploits its labor, according to InputMag.com news writer Jay Fergus. The platform compensates its A-list stars handsomely, but uses a union loophole to underpay its behind-the-scenes workers, they write. Here's Jay reading an excerpt from their piece. Celebrity talent comes at a cost, though. And the names you don't know are the ones who paid for it. How many people outside of the industry really know what a script supervisor does? Or a greens person? a boom operator. Thousands of people make the tiny decisions and perform the grueling work behind the shows and movies you love every year. Quibi's entire premise ensures they're underpaid. Welcome back to the show, Jay. Yeah, hey. So Quibi, as we covered on a prior episode of Input Output, has been widely mocked. In comparison to literally any other cultural artifact of its scale, r slash Quibi is comically empty. But in this piece, you're also saying that they're kind of evil. How shocking. A startup has been determined to be evil, but it has some old school, sinister feelings mixed in with some new school tactics. So could you explain briefly how Quibi gets away with underpaying its workers? I would not be surprised if the streaming service was engineered specifically to undercut this process, but in union contracts, the IATSE contract, which covers a lot of the crew members that are 
quote-unquote below the line, the people you don't really hear about. There's a segment for streaming content and high-budget streaming content, and it's broken up in a way that different productions can set tiers for wage scales for all of these various people. Um, And there's a special note in the most recent contracts that says that programs under 20 minutes are not eligible to be in the high budget or even the mid-budget tiers simply because they're too short. So because of that, the 5 to 11 minute Quibi shows that you see, all of those productions are able to pay their crew members anywhere from a lower sort of movie of the week rate all the way down to the union minimum wage. So you spoke to a bunch of below-the-line workers for this piece. What did they have to say about Quibi and this pay inequity? I think a lot of people weren't surprised that this was happening, but in a certain sense, it was just kind of a changing of the guard. Because for years around town in LA, a lot of people would kind of have this whisper network or talk about Netflix productions. And then as Quibi started to ramp up in producing its shows, that became the target of a lot of these lukewarm sentiments. But people didn't really push back because it was still generally union and so they could get their hours and still be eligible for benefits. So they didn't really think about it too much and just kind of considered it to be another pitfall of the changing media landscape. And what's Quibi's response to all this? They don't have one. (laughs) I reached out a couple of times while preparing this piece and got no response from them. I haven't been able to find them responding to this in any other form. So should Quibi survive, it will probably just be an ongoing problem. It would be a continuing issue. The great thing about the timing of this piece is that these IATSE contracts are renewed every three years. So production is pretty much in standstill mode in Hollywood right now. So by the time things might actually start to pick back up next year, that's when negotiations will start up again. So it's entirely possible that the union leadership can close the loophole in a future contract. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Houlihan, and I am at Mark Yarm. For more news from the world of technology and culture, visit InputMag.com. You can click on the links in the show notes for the stories we discussed today. New episodes of Input Output are released three times a week. If you enjoyed what you heard, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. You can find Input Output on your smart speaker or whichever podcast app you use. Thanks for listening.